if you've ever been one to get baptized, you know the excitement that you felt that day of it. You know, a lot of people get baptized and they think about a lot of things preceding it. But when they get in the water, it's like they have this awakening, this epiphany that, that they finally made this decision. And it's one that's going to follow them all the days of their life. That they live a separated life. And you're going to take a water baptism up there, a water grave, if you will, showing what God's going to do in your life in the future. So today's series message is proud of a race to life. But what does it mean? What does race to life mean? You're born again. You're going to heaven before you get in the water. But Jesus said to go out and teach all nations, baptize them in the, in the, in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's something about the importance of being water baptized. But what does it mean? Race to life. I think so many of you, before you came to Christ, so many of us got saved when we were little. We hadn't lived a real raunchy life and a lot of, a lot of uh, baggage tagging along behind us. A lot of shame, if you don't want to mean, a lot of shame in our life. And so those people may not understand this quite as good. But when a person gets saved and they get born again, and there's a transfer, transformation that's going on in their life, something that God has done in their life that nobody else can do, God, something that can clean their mind and clean their conversation and clean their, their attitude and clean everything about them up, up in such a way that it's just raised to life. A new life has, has come into that person. I know several of you, several of you have come from a terrible background. But what amazing God that we have that he reached into your life and he called you out of that and he's got a different plan and a purpose for you. That's exciting to me. And that's what Race to Life is all about. And that's what this series is, is about. A different things that he raises us to life in. And how we can have a more fulfilled life in our walk with Christ. This life is up to us. But through Christ, we have a life that has a divine plan. I'd like you to turn your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 18. I didn't give this to the... Uh, to Nikki beforehand to put it up on the boards. I'm going to just talk to you about this for just a second. Something that my wife has done for many years. She's not real big, but there is nobody. There is nobody that can clean my clock like my wife. There's nobody. Uh, not physically. There's so many things over the years. I'll tell you when to come back up, guys. Give me five minutes. There's so many things that she proclaims that she believed God, believes God for. The scriptures that she has on the refrigerator in different places above our head of our bed. And, and, and the, a door where we walk from the kitchen into our new living room. And just a variety of places. But she believes that if she speaks these things, so they'll, be, they'll be, become a common place in our life. And I've often thought about it. so many times I don't speak things like she does. I don't say things like she does. I may have some of the same dreams and aspirations, but I don't put into practice a verbal speaking things as though they weren't that they would come to pass. And you may not really understand that, and you may not really agree with that, but I'll tell you what, there's a scripture in Proverbs 18 that says this. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. They, all of us, if we love life or we love death, that's what we're going to speak. It's amazing how we can bring things into existence with what we speak. I'm not saying I'm going to believe you all. I'm going to believe there's a pink elephant right here. 
I'm going to say it. There's going to be a pink elephant right here. Pink elephant. Now, that's foolish. That's foolish. But it's amazing how when, he, when we get into the mind of Christ and he begins to move in our heart, he moves in our life, that we can begin to speak things, although we don't quite understand it. Although we don't see it yet, we're going to speak it into existence and believe that God's going to bring it to pass. Many of you in this room right now, people have been praying and speaking things into existence in your life that you would be here. You know, we often think that, well, I just came around my, my own accord. We don't know anything. There's a, there's, a, there's a plan and there's an alternative that God presents in our life when we follow the things of the Lord and we begin to speak things. Reap the rewards of it. Reap the rewards of it. Reap the rewards of what you speak. Be careful with what you do speak. But reaping the rewards are, are an eternal blessing in your life. Speak the life into speak life into your family, into your health, into your relationships, into your church. Think about all the people who received a miracle about, about what they said, what the scripture said. Go to Mark. I don't I don't think I have this on, on the list either. Maybe I do. Uh, Mark ten verse forty six. Mark ten forty six. And they came to town of Jericho as Jesus was leaving, with, leaving there with his followers and a great many people. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. And when he heard that Jesus from Nazareth was walking by, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many, poor, many people warned the blind man to be quiet, but he shouted the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, tell the man to come here. So they, came, so they called the blind man saying, cheer up, get to your feet. He is calling you. So the blind man jumped up, left his coat there, and went to Jesus. And Jesus asked him, what will you have me to do for you? And the blind man said, teacher, I want to see. And Jesus said, go, you are healed because you believed. And at once he could see, and he followed Jesus on the road. Before he, oh, we, we go, well, that's great, it's wonderful. The thing that was, that was critical in this was that he began to raise his voice. If he had never raised his voice, he had never received his healing. And so many times in our life, we say, well, my lot in life is bleak and my lot in life is terrible. You cannot receive it if you don't ask for it. You can't. We come here this morning and we do all the church stuff we're supposed to. We greet people, and that's great, and it's great, and we're good to be, good to be friendly. But how many of us, are there something else in store for you in a service like this, in the beginning or in the ending? There is something God has in store for you. But it's whether or not you're willing to say, Lord, I need that. Lord, I need that. Blind Bartimaeus could have sat there because he also got discouraged. He could have got discouraged. Everybody was telling him to be quiet because he was unimportant to, the, to Jesus. If, if, if you watch the... Uh, the series of chosen, you will see how the most unlikely people have such a unique divine calling on their life. It's the same way in this, this situation. It said that he followed him. We don't have any record of any other time that he followed him or where he went, but he paid attention and he listened. But first of all, he raised his voice. And I encourage you if there's something in your life that you're needing, something in your life that you need in your body, in your spirit, there's something that you have to do to, to initiate God reaching down to, to, to heal and bring things about into, into your life. He refused to be silent. Regardless if he knew that he got Jesus' attention or not, he refused to be silent. 
and he would tell what he needed, and he expected his healing, and that is exactly what he got. Go to Mark chapter 5. A lot of times we think that God's healing is not for, for uh, us because it ha- hasn't happened in our timing. And many times the timing of God is very critical. Very critical. And I don't know God's timing, and neither do you know God's timing. Chapter 5, verse 22. And a leader of the synagogue named Jairus came and saw Jesus and fell at his feet. He begged Jesus, saying, again and again, and my daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so I know that she will be healed and will live. So Jesus went with him. And a large crowd followed and pushed it very close around him. And among them was a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years and had suffered very much from doctors and spent all the money she had. But instead of improving, she only got worse. When the woman heard that Jesus, uh, heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his coat. And she thought, if I can just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Instantly, her bleeding stopped and felt in her body that she was healed from her disease. At once, Jesus felt the power go out from him. So he turned around and in the crowd and he asked, who touched my clothes? And I, You know, I've read this so many times. How did he even know that his clothes were touched? He knew the person that done it was going to recognize that he knew something happened. Something about that incident. We'll come back in just a minute. And the woman, knowing that she was healed, came and fell at Jesus' feet, shaking with fear. And she told him the whole truth. And Jesus said to her, Dear woman, you are made well because you believe. Go in peace your, and be healed of your disease. And while Jesus was still speaking, some came from the house of the synagogue leader. And they said, Your daughter is dead. There is no reason, no need to bother the teacher. There's two stories here. And there are probably two of that I remember so vividly as a kid growing up and hear my dad preach it. And it became kind of, I don't know, cherished in my mind. But this one woman, I began to think about her. Nobody knew she was going to go there. Nobody knew her probably in the crowd because if they did know her, they would say she couldn't be in the crowd because she had a blood issue. So here's this, Jesus, here's this lady walking in, in, in line to, to meet Jesus. Do I hear that baby? How many heard baby? Okay, we're good. Okay, let's make sure everybody heard her. Heard him. You know, we a lot of times we get messed up and we get bent out of shape over things that really don't matter. I'm so glad that the Lord heard us and our wimpy baby pitching a fit crying. And he reached out to us and he changed our life. It's not because of how distinguished we are or how eloquent we are. It's the fact that we were desperate enough to cry out to an almighty God. And that's exactly the same thing that's happening in this lady's life. I began to think about her and, and uh, she said in her heart, you notice she didn't say to anybody, but she said in her heart, and there's some of you here that are saying things in your heart, but you're, you're afraid to step out and believe God for it. There's things you pray about, just the things that only you know. And you keep it all inside. And it's amazing how you can carry it to your grave with you because you keep it inside. I get vision in my mind, this woman, and 
And the Lord, her saying this in her, in her mind and in her, in her heart, and she didn't know it, but she reached out, and I believe as Jesus passed by, I don't believe she just tipped it. I believe she grabbed it. She was so desperate, she would not let that thing get, let him get going until she received her healing. Instantly, Jesus said he felt the, the healing virtue flow from him. There was something about her cry for healing. Although it wasn't heard by other people, it was said within her heart. And in her mind, in her, in her, in her, well, in her own life, this came out and it was very obvious. And many times we think that, oh, you have to speak it out loud. How many silent prayers, silent calls of, and to the Lord about little things that we've prayed about, my wife's prayed about. I said she says things to herself. Now, I've told you before that I'll hear her speaking in another room by herself, and I'll ask her she's talking to. She says, I'll be talking to herself. But there's probably times she's in there speaking things to God, and she's quoting Scripture to God because she's believing for something that she hasn't received or she hasn't received yet. This woman, she received everything without opening her mouth, but she said it in her heart. I can go back to Jarius and, and Jairus was, was his daughter was healed, and we know the story, but we're rushed for time, and I'm going to go on to the next point. You may not think what you say is that important, but what you, what you say is very important. I'm going to read the scripture to you. It's in First Peter chapter three. Finally, or at last, be ye of one mind. Having compassion, one, having compassion one for another. Love is brethren. Be pitiful. How many knew that when I say we're being pitiful and pathetic, it's scriptural. We're supposed to be pitiful. Be courteous. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise, blessing. Knowing that there are there unto God, knowing that thou art there unto God called, that you should inherit a blessing. Now verse 10. For he that will love his life and see his good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil. And his lips, they speak no guile. In other words, when we go to prayer and we go on our daily day, day-to-day life, it's amazing how we can control a lot of things that we speak, what we say, how we say them. It's important that the order in which we say things oftentimes. The last passage I'm going to use is in Matthew chapter 15. Matthew 15 and verse 22. Confession is so powerful. It makes our very future. If I said and blast my wife, I talked to you about her speaking things into existence or speaking things, believing things when I don't or when I hasn't or I'm a little reluctant or I'm, a, I'm just quiet about it. She's speaking things. We make confessions in many areas of our life, in our actions, in our speech, and how we think. Matthew chapter 25 is one of the greatest examples. You may not feel worthy. And some of you here, you may not feel worthy. And in your mind's eye, you may not be. And really, you're not worthy for a lot anyway because we are pitiful, we are pathetic, and variety of things. But Christ has made us worthy. Chapter 15, verse 22. Jesus left that place and went to the area of Tyre Sidon. Tyre Sidon. 
A Canaanite woman from that era came to Jesus and cried out, Lord, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter has a demon and she is very much, she is suffered, suffering very much. And Jesus did not answer the woman. So his followers came to him and begged him, tell the woman to go away. She was following us and shouting. And Jesus answered, God sent me only to the lost sheep of Israel. Then the woman came to Jesus again and bowed before him and said, Lord, help me. And Jesus answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. And the woman said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. I will do as you have asked. And at that moment, the, daughter's, the woman's daughter was healed. I want to stop here because I, I thought about a variety of things. She was a desperate mom. You know, you can go a lot of places, but until you get desperate, you don't see a lot of, a, a, a lot of people really coming to a place of repentance. A place of acknowledging that they, that they need God. There's something about the desperation. We bring Jesus our issues and the things that are on our mind, but we can't manage them all, but we think, well, I'll bring it to God because I can't manage it. But the issue was the mother called out Jesus, and Jesus would not talk to her. I don't know about you, but this woman may have watched him for quite some time, wondering if he can heal the demon-possessed, people that are suffering with demonic possession. And maybe he had, uh, she'd seen him heal a variety of things. But when she started hearing, hearing about him healing demonic oppression, she went to him. And then she goes to him, and he rejects her. And it's the only place in Scripture we see that God really rejects somebody. Man, be kind of hard to deal with. You come to him one time, and you're kind to him, and he says, I'm not for you. I was only for the Jews. Why would you be silent? If he hadn't healed her, the demons would still continue to plague his daughter. It's amazing, though, it took somebody's voice saying it. It takes somebody's voice to say what she needed. And it was not for her, it was for somebody else. And I begin to think about all of us in here and all the situations that we have in our lives. Things that get, begin to bombard us and we don't go before the Lord. How many others had let the mother down? How many people ostracized her, had nothing to do with her? It was her last thread of hope. It was her last chance. It was the last opportunity for her to ever receive healing for her daughter. But she was being ignored. She heard him talk to his disciples about the situation like she wasn't even there. I mean, she's standing there and he's saying, I'm not talking to her. I'm only sent to the Jews. I'm not sent to the Gentiles. And so she was frustrated, but she was persistent and she continued. She continued in her quest that she was still talking and she was expecting because she wasn't willing to do what? She wasn't willing to take, hear, hear no for an answer. She wasn't willing to turn around and walk away. She was that desperate. But what she said, it was profound. It was profound. It was the thing. We didn't know it when Jesus put this whole thing together. But that was what Jesus was waiting to see, waiting to hear. It wasn't that he wasn't here for the Jews or Gentiles. If that was the case, when he went to the, the lady, the Samaritan at the, at the well, he wouldn't have been there for her. 
He wouldn't have. See, he was waiting for her to initiate the right words in order to bring this prayer, this answer to prayer. So what comes down to us? What does he want to hear from us? What is he wanting to hear from us? How desperate are you for an answer? What's the situation in your life? I'm going to share a story with you. You see, we think we hide a lot of things, and, and a lot of things are, are never known by people. How many of you have ever heard of Max Licato? About 15 of us. Max Licato is one of the greatest speakers and teachers, and he just takes the word, and, and it, he just puts it in such a layman's term that we all understand it. But this is after he had his kids. He was in the ministry. God called him into this ministry, and he was pastoring all these things that he was doing. It was great. It was, it was wonderful. But what, he ha what happened to Max was there was a little besetting sin that he began to indulge in. And he began to go down to the 7-Eleven, the, the neighborhood uh, convenience store. And he would go in there, and you know the brown bags you see people come out of on the go with? I don't know what is so great about brown bags, but they must have great insulating capabilities. Because if you carry one out of there, you, you know, everybody knows you're not carrying it out there because, I don't know what, I don't know, something about brown bags. But he st started going into uh, all the convenience stores and coming out with a brown bag with a can of beer in it. You see, back in college, he had a problem with alcohol and drinking. He started going back, not, not leaving the ministry, not going out and getting drunk. He just go, started going into these places and getting a can of beer every so often. If he was on the other side of town where nobody would know him, or if he was in a city that nobody was knowing, knew him and he was going to speak, he would go in there and get a can of beer and he'd drink his beer. I don't know how many years ago this was. It wasn't very many. And so you think, well, why are you telling for him? Because, see, he wouldn't tell anybody his secret sin, his little addiction, his little thing he had going on, on the side. Until one time he was in another big city and he was on the far side of town for the motel he was standing in. So there was a little convenience store right there by the motel. So he just whipped in there and he went in there and got him a, one of those big cans or whatever it was, alcohol, and, and he put it in a, a brown paper bag and he went into his car. And he's sitting there, and, and the Lord said, seriously, this has that kind of control in your life. This is owning you. And that was the last time he ever drank. You see, we do things enough, and we do things so repetitively and so uh, easily that we never bring it before the Lord. If you have things in your life that you know I'm not saying you're going to hell, but I'm telling you, you're hindered. Hindered. Things that keep happening in your life. You may have a kid who's demon-possessed. You need to lift your voice and begin to speak victory in that situation. 
you have an addiction, you have a problem in your life, or something that you can't overcome, you need to speak it up. I don't mean you come in and say, oh, I've got a problem with this, but you have to learn to speak it up between you and God. And as you begin to speak and you begin to become forward on these things that's going on, that you need them out of your life. You may have a situation with a wife or husband that's very difficult. Very difficult. Nobody here even knows how difficult it is. If you don't learn to speak it out, you'll never see victory in that thing. There's something about speaking existence into it, something to receive healing. What situation are we in? What is your need? What is, what is your family in need of? We serve a God that's able to meet and, and do miraculous things in our midst. But there's one need that is greater than all the needs that we've talked about. More important than the lady's daughter who was demon-possessed. More important than blind Bart- Bartimaeus. In 1 John chapter 1. Verse 8 and 9. It says, if you will confess with your heart, if you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, there's something that takes place. But if I never learn to confess and you never learn to confess, you may think it's a sign of weakness. It's not a sign of weakness. I'm going to ask Everybody that's on these on our prayer team, uh, my wife has a couple weeks ago or about a month ago, we've been praying. I want you to come up front and stand. And some of you are going, oh my goodness, what is it going to do? Tell you what we're going to do. We're going to confess. You think, I don't want to tell them anything that I've got going on or anything's happened in my life. There's some things that would be okay to confess and there's other things to keep silent about. Get a little shift right over here, a few of you, like half of you. Thanks, guys. If there's something you need agreement in, you begin to you need to confess with your mouth. If it's salvation, I want you to come up. If it's somebody in your life that's gotta gotta have a miracle, you've got a daughter's possessed, you need to come up. You need somebody to agree with you in prayer, but you need to recognize, not always hide from it. Recognize the issue that's going on in your life. If you have a problem with maintaining a job because you're always, always wanting to change, you're never content, you need to come and find somebody to confess it to and pray and believe it and let God help you in this situation. Speak your issue to God. There's people up here standing. I guarantee you can trust them. They're not going to go tell your secret or any other issues to anybody else. It's nobody's problem. Nobody's issue but yours. But if there's something in your life, I want you to stand up. Go ahead and dim the lights if you would. If there's something in your life that you want somebody to agree with you in prayer on, I want you to come find somebody to pray now.